You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls. Andrew Forbes, Peter Barrichini, and Alex Hoffman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 62 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-hosts, Alex Hobson and Peter Barracchini. Guys, lots to talk about. We had Dion Phaneuf retire this week, Josh Hosang lighten it up in the minors, and some more Bettman talk, as always. Uh, but first off, Peter, let's start off with you this week. How you doing? Oh, doing good. Doing good. Um... This was pretty an uneventful week for me. It was kind of low key. Didn't really do much. Did some writing, and that was about it. But um, I, 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 I got my third jab this year. I got my flu shot. Um, honestly, like usually, I don't have an issue with my flu shot. But this year, oh my god! Like you, you like obviously, you know, you feel the you feel a bit of a pinch when the needle goes in. But man, I don't know who administered it, but they got me right on my muscle and I felt it right then and there. And I was like underneath my mask, obviously the doctor, or the nurse couldn't see, but I'm just like, God damn it. That hurts so much. And it was like that for the whole entire day. I like, it's all good right now, but man, that's the first time I ever felt anything from that shot. It's like, you've been doing arm curls for like a week straight and all of a sudden yeah. you just feel it in the shoulder. Yeah, no, I get no, it. No, definitely. And I it's the like, arm curls. <laughs> It was right in the muscle, and I and I felt it. I'm just like, mm, this is going to be a bad 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, never fun. But uh, the quiet <laughs> weeks are always the quiet weeks are always nice. You know, a little yeah. little recoup. Uh, like you said, get some writing done, and and uh, you know, put put the put the words on paper. But uh, Alex, uh, any any good stories for us this week from uh, ball hockey, or what? What do you got going out your way? <laughs> I regret to inform you guys that my season's come to an end. Uh, uh, French French and Fried was eliminated in the third round, or I mean in the second round of the playoffs. Um, and you know what? We lost three, We lost today. And truth be told, I was more salty about game one that we lost on Thursday night because today we lost 3 nothing, and they were just flat out the better team. They, they played a better game. Um, no hard feelings there. But in game one, we were tied 1-1 up until the end of the – like five minutes left in the third period. And they go to dump the ball in and they, their, their guy shoots it in from like below the center line. And it takes a weird bounce off of the boards in the corner, goes off the back of our goalies leg and in. And that's how we lost game one. So I, that kept me up for a couple of days. And I was like, you know what? I just want to go back and at least, at least force a game three, because I, I don't want that to be the reason that we go out and it's, it's tough. We couldn't get it done, but it was, it was a great season. I just hope we don't get demoted to division 22. That's, that's all that matters to me. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I was about to say, you couldn't argue that, you know, you beat out an icing call and you would have gained possession. No, it wasn't an, it wasn't an (laughs) icing call. Like it was, he he didn't ice it. It was, it was within, it was within range where he could dump it in and not, not be called for icing. But I still would along with that, I I do have good news that both of you guys are already aware of, but the people watching and listening might not be. Um, If you listened or watched to the end of the last episode, you saw my, my heartbreak when I pulled that Timmy's pack and pulled Christian Dvorak for the third time (laughs) or whatever. And Jack Hughes for the second time back to back and Mm -hmm. still didn't pull a leaf. The next morning I finally pulled my very first leaf. And since then I've got three. So there you go. Things are starting to look up for me. It's no longer, uh, it's no longer a mission for me to pull a leaf player. It just, 
it just happens. Now, uh, now I can now I can rest easy knowing that I may I, I have equal odds to everybody else when it comes to pulling leaves. Everything's coming up Millhouse. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, before I talk about my week, Alex, I gotta throw it back to you for one second because I think you had maybe the tweet of the week uh, this week, sharing a, a little parental video. Um, <laughs> Uh, and you gotta, you gotta explain, to, you gotta explain to our listeners because obviously if you haven't seen it, go check out Alex's Twitter, uh, a Hobson media. But, um, if you have seen it, like this was possible, like I was sitting there just curled over laughing hysterically. Yeah. If so be worthy. Yeah. So my, uh, my parents like to do this thing where they they work out of the same building. My mom kind of works part-time at my at the company that my dad owns. And so um, a couple times a week, they, they work um, until the same time. And they, they always get competitive about who gets home first because they, since my mom, my mom starts a little later than my dad does. So they drive in separate cars and uh, I forget what day it was last week, but the one, I think it was Thursday, yeah, Thursday last week. Um, <laughs> my mom left the building before my dad did. And it's only like a five minute drive home. And my mom left the building first and my dad still somehow beat her home. And we've got this doorbell camera and it picked up the entire altercation. And <laughs> my, my mom wasn't too happy about coming second place. That's all I'm going to say. She, oh, God. she, she goes, <laughs> uh, the first, the, the first part of the video, my dad's like, Oh, why do you got to be first? And she goes, cause I'm, I'm never first. And then he goes inside and she comes around and starts walking up the steps and goes, I want to kick you in the throat. Fuck you. <laughs> Oh, I, honestly, uh, if you, if you my dad sent me it. that, vi- my dad sent me that video and didn't say anything, but he just sent me the clip and didn't say anything, but mom doesn't like coming second place. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. I, I honestly, I was loving it. Like, I think I watched it two or three times. Cause I was just like, it was, it was so perfect, but um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of goes to show you how my week was very slow. Like Peter, um, I, I was watching a, a new uh, Netflix series, Catching Killers, uh, Netflix documentary, docu-series, I should say. Um, absolutely amazing. Talks about some of the, uh, or talks with some of the detectives that, um, uh, uh, you know, caught some of the most infamous killers, which was, you know, I, I love the mind of, of these crazy people. Uh, that's why we do this. But um, yeah, aside from that, boys, it's been, uh, it's been quite a week for the, the Leafs, a little up and down roller coaster as we, we usually get uh, around this time in the season. Um, but uh, what do you say we j- jump right into to Leaf talk? Love I mean, me some Leaf talk. We should. I mean, we don't have to. Can, I, could. can I make the first point of Leaf talk here? Absolutely, you can. Um, I, this won't do much for the people who are listening versus watching, but Jack Campbell just posts. Oh, that's not the Jack. Campbell, that's a pizza ad. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Campbell posted on his Instagram story, the video of Joseph wall Wally. getting showered with beers in the locker room and said, Oh, and it's the pizza ad again. Pizza um, ad. But he posted, gist. <laughs> yeah, he posted on it. Jack Campbell posted on his Instagram story, the video mm-hmm. of uh, Joseph wall getting showered with beers after his first NHL shutout and said at Joseph wall stud. So he is. Beautiful. kicking yes. it off on a wholesome note so let's uh let's start right there then guys like um we'll talk about the weekend series obviously against uh, pittsburgh saturday night uh get back at it sunday against the new york islanders in the new building um we'll throw it peter to you first your thoughts on on first the saturday game obviously 
you know, it wasn't horrible. It wasn't like the last time we played Pittsburgh, but it wasn't pretty either. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously what you saw from the game in New York, and we'll get, we'll get to Islanders fans in a little bit, but let's talk about the gameplay first. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the games first. Um, a tale of two games, really. Um, right off from the bat against the Pittsburgh Penguins, I guess you, there were still some nerves and I guess maybe they were a little anxious about the outcome of what happened previously. And now you had Sidney Crosby, you had Crystal Tang in the lineup, um, Carter, Russ. So they had most of their players back aside from Malkin, but they were just very slow right off the bat. I mean, they had their chances, but they were very flat footed. They had to slow the pace down. They couldn't connect on passes and again, the power play goes like what zero for four, and they were reverting back to the whole trying to get the perfect setup, pass it, take their time, and that's not what made them successful in the previous games before. And I get it; it's only one game, zero for four. I'm not going to touch on it too much, but you don't want those bad habits to creep back in because they were dominant with the man advantage. I mean, everyone was getting in on the fun. Riley, Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, everybody was producing on the power play, and that's what we wanted to see. Mm. Flip over to the Islanders game, and man, it's like this team wanted to avenge the loss from the night before. Again, not a horrible loss. It's just, you know, things didn't go their way, and they didn't get the bounces. And finally, this time, the passes were connecting. They were quicker to the puck uh, granted the physical play was in the islander's favor because they were throwing the bodies constantly and even on john Tavares, which you know we all knew that was coming but mitch marner was just absolutely phenomenal saw his play on the shorthanded goal you saw him on the in, in the second insurance marker to make it three nothing uh doing that give and go play with michael bunting he was buzzing all around and i think this is what's frustrating about mitch marner is he has these games where this is th- this is the type of game we want him to play and then he has those games where he's trying to do too much and be too much of a different maker that maybe he's just thinking two or three steps ahead and he's got to think in the moment right now because I, 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 I don't know. I, I really don't because this was a textbook game and I thought this was one of his better performances this season, especially on that penalty uh, shorthanded goal where he was able to get the inside edge and use his edges and body positioning to his advantage to go on the backhand. And also, and shout out to Jake Muzzin for that beautiful long stretch pass because that was just absolutely phenomenal. But it was a whole team effort. I mean, uh, both ends of the ice. Um, defense stood, stood tall when, you know, they failed. Uh, Joseph Wall was there to, you know, backstop them. And he got the shutout, got the beer shower. And you got to feel great for him, too. I mean, first game, first win. Second game, first career shutout. I mean, what better way do you want to start off your career than with two solid games back to back? Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Joseph Wall. Obviously, two two starts, two wins, uh, 2.0 goals against, and a 9.15 save percentage. Uh, looked a lot calmer, a lot um, a lot less a lot a lot more composed, a lot less mm-hmm. mechanic in this in this outing. And and you saw Jack Campbell's quote prior to the game saying that you know even leading up to the week or throughout the week, you could see that there's a little bit of a difference in how he was preparing for the game. Yeah. Alex, what are your thoughts on Joseph Wall's game? But also I want to talk about the power play over seven over the last two games. Are we seeing a team that's kind of trending back towards where they were in the playoffs? Or is this a team that, you know, over seven, it's kind of a fluke over the last little bit and, and they're going to find their way back on track. 
Um, well, I'm probably not the right guy to ask about what I thought of Joseph Wall's game because I actually missed a lot of the game tonight. Um, I was on I, I I was on a commute for a lot of it from Niagara, so I got to listen to old Joe Bowen on the radio. Oh, and God, funny. do I ever miss that guy on TV? Classic. Um, let's get him on the show. Yeah, Joe Bowen. Let's get on Sticks in the Six. <laughs> Come on, Joe. Um, but yeah, we. So I, I I I missed a lot of the game. I really only caught the last ten minutes of the third period. But I mean, he got a shutout, and I think that's all you can really ask for. And you know, I I feel like sometimes. You know, if players get a sh- if goalies get a shutout, and but they didn't stand on their head, like they only made like whatever it was, like just over twenty saves, like Joseph Wall did tonight. I, I feel like sometimes that kind of p- people kind of think it's not as special as a regular shutout, but in my opinion, it is just because mm-hmm. it shows it shows you that the goalie showed up and did his job. And you know, if Joseph Wall easily could have laid, well, I won't say laid an egg, but he, he easily could have had a tough performance tonight. And the score could have ended up being 3-2 for the Leafs or God forbid they lose 4-3 or something like that. But Wall came in and he was sturdy, made some big saves. And I don't think you can ask for much more from him. And I'm, you know, I, I couldn't be happier for the guy because, you know, here's a guy who was drafted in 2016. So five years ago now and did well in the NCAA, but he hasn't really had that same success in the AHL. And I think a lot of people were wondering, you know, why did he get the call before a guy like Hutchinson or even Eric Schalgren? Um, But I mean, hats off to the guy, both starts. And even, I I even include that last start in, in saying, in talking about it. And I know he led in four goals against Buffalo, but you know, for a guy's first start, he did, he did a good job shutting the door for the most part in that game. I think the Leafs kind of failed him at certain points, and he did a great job tonight, so I couldn't be happier for him. He had all his interviews and his press conferences, he seems like the nicest guy, so you know, no doubt that he's been taking, taking lessons from Jack Campbell that are on the bench. And uh, in terms of the power play, I don't have too much to say about it. I think it's probably, you know, if you're using an 0 for 7 sample size over the span of two games, which one of those games was just terrible in so many ways. I, I, I'm not too worried about it. I mean, I, I think as a whole, it's been a lot better this year. Not, not this year necessarily, but like lately it's been a lot better as a whole. And I'm not, I, I'm not really going to take seven games and worry about that. I think it was probably just a bad weekend. And, you know, uh, I'd like to see how it does over the span of this California trip. Uh, and if it, and if they still have trouble scoring and we're talking about this, this time next week, then Yeah maybe something to worry about. But as of right now, I think they're probably fine. They got the win today, so that's all I care about. I'm glad you brought up the 20 saves because you hear it a lot that, you know, sometimes it's tougher in games for goalies when they're seeing less opportunities. And worth noting that of those 20 opportunities, seven high high danger opportunities and six medium danger mm-hmm. opportunities. So 13 of the 20 were, were, you know, relatively good chances uh, with seven of them being, you know, high danger opportunities. Um, but in saying that, I want to get kind of your thoughts, either one of you really, on one that the whole um, Muzzin pairing that seems to be like, I, I don't know if like Keith's just hard for the, for this pairing. Like he just, he needs to get them on the ice together or what it is, but also Nick Ritchie, you know, tallied an assist tonight. Uh, saw his minutes drop to 10, just, just shy of 11 minutes. And, and Michael Bunting was back up to 14, close to 15 minutes. So, you know, Peter, is this, are we seeing maybe, you know, Bunting's getting that opportunity to climb the, the lineup again, Nick Ritchie, the experiment's kind of ending. Um, and 
what do you what are you thinking of this this pairing that just seems to never go away? The Muzzin Hall pairing. Um, to split up duties, I'll leave the bunting Richie comment for Alex because I know he's got a lot to say on that. Um, but I, and I'll, I'll take the Muzzin Hall thing. Um, I, I guess you know Alex is probably going to allude to this too. Um, after Hall got benched, he wants to try and get Justin Hall in and get into the games and get into the form that we saw to him play last year, early on in the season before the trade deadline. And then whatever happened afterwards, just, he just wasn't the same player. Um, I, I think he just wants to try and get his confidence going, which is why he's so reluctant to try and like bench him or like healthy scratch him again, because Maybe he thinks that, you know, he can get back to that type of play that we saw before. But right now, it just, it's still, it didn't work the first time. You benched him. You saw a bit more success when you had TJ Brody on the pairing because you have that balance where you're not having both Muzzin and Hall jumping into the play where if Muzzin jumps in, Brody's there to back up. And if Brody jumps in, Hall's there to back him up. So you have that balance right there. The fact that both of them are jumping in and both of them seem a little bit slower than usual, it, it, it just has a recipe for disaster. And I think there were a few games lately that Justin Hall played better, but still doesn't seem enough to warrant more play over Travis Dermott or even Till- Timothy Lilligren, uh, for that matter. Granted, they've had their ups, uh ups and downs lately as well, but not as glaring as Justin Hall where they're able to recover and bounce back right away. So I, I, at some point it's, it's got to come to an end, just like the whole Nick Ritchie bunting thing. And I, I, it's, again, you want to see him succeed, but it's just not there. And I think you need to go back to, the pairing or if you get another addition on defense whoever that may be if they do make a move and you know you get a better player insert uh that said player into the fourth spot and then have muzzin or hall sorry has that seventh defenseman sitting up in the rafters or in the press box because you know it's just not cutting it out it's just not there and you want and again you want to see him succeed you want to see him do well it's just how many more opportunities can he get and still have poor performances, make bad decisions, get caught on a pinch and lead to an all-man rush and poor clearing attempts. I mean, it's at some point, Keith is going to say, you know what? It's over. Alex, the, the argument can be made at some point, Ilya Mikheyev is going to be coming back. And and the argument can be made that Pierre Engvall might be the guy that the odd man out, but some will argue that Nick Ritchie might, be that guy as well now that you know the Leafs obviously picked up Kyle Clifford for future considerations this week as well um what are your thoughts on the possibility of Nick Ritchie maybe playing himself out of the lineup I don't think you're gonna see it to be completely honest I don't think there's going to be an instance this year where Nick Ritchie plays himself out of the lineup and the reason that I say that is because he signed at 2.5 million per year for two years and you know that's not a contract that is necessarily appealing to other teams, especially the way he's played this year so far. I think it was a little different with the guy like say Jimmy BC last year, who was on a one-year contract at 900 K or whatever it was. So, you know, you can, you can get rid of him. You can, you can wave him and another team will take him. But in terms of Richie, I think Sheldon Keefe is going to be doing everything he can to get Richie going in some way or another. We all remember that 
that conversation that Keith had with Jimmy VC in the all or nothing documentary, when he told him that he needs to find a thing, whether it's goal scoring or physicality or energy or whatever it was, he needs to have a thing. And I think that we're starting to see Richie develop the physicality and that side of the game as his thing. I think we've seen that, especially, I mean, we saw it last night. He laid, he had a big hit. I can't remember who it was on, but I know he laid a big hit last night. He had another one tonight. And I, 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 if we're talking about the Richie experiment, I think that his, the experiment of trying to play him on the top line is probably coming to an end, but I don't think that the experiment of having him as a leaf is ending anytime soon, because, you know, like I said, that's going to be a real tough look for Dubas. If he had, if he shelled out that kind of money for Nick Richie and ends up having to bury him in the minors and, you know, he may not be the 15 goal guy that he was in Boston last year, but I think he can certainly be used as a guy down the stretch as a bottom six player, a guy who can throw the body in the playoffs, provide some energy. And I don't think that the acquisition of Clifford really threatens him at all. And, you know, I I, I do think that there is a spot eventually for Clifford at some point, but I think it's mostly just his insurance, just in case a guy like Wayne Simmons goes down. But overall, I don't think that we're going to see Richie ride the pine or be or, or, or leave the team at any point unless there's I mean obviously if there's a team out there that's willing to take Nick Ritchie and eat his 2.5 million dollars and the Leafs actually can get something for him in return maybe that's a possibility but I don't see that happening and thus I don't think Sheldon Keefe has any choice but to really just try and get Ritchie going this year so um, I think that's really just what it comes down to he has to he has to find a thing whether it's eventually finding a scoring touch or being an energy guy in the bottom six or throwing the body but he, he's got to find a thing and I think the Leafs are going to work with him to try and help him find that thing because he's locked in for two years so and you even mentioned it on the lounge too saying that maybe you go back to the initial lineups before where you had bunting on that top unit and you know lo and behold the top line seemed to be more energetic because of bunting going in and having that skill set and being quicker on the puck and retrievals than Nick Ritchie and being a pest in front of the net, getting more drawn penalties than Connor McDavid at this point. So I think having that situation or that making that move <clears throat> before that game really helped that line get going because they were absolutely lights out against the Islanders. Yeah, I think for whatever reason, you need to get Michael Bunting out there. He's he's ranked second right now in drawn penalties. It reminds me a lot of Nazem Kadri in that sense where, like, you know, he's able to get out there and get under the skin and, and still play a relatively um, productive game. Um, in terms of Nick Ritchie, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you in the sense that he's not going anywhere. Um, $2.5 is a lot of money for a guy who right now is not playing up to that standard. Um, I do think the Leafs are going to try and get him going whatever way they can. I don't think that's on the top line. He just, for oh, me, for no. me, he doesn't keep up. Um, you know, maybe, maybe on the power play, you, you use him like a Thomas, uh, Thomas Hollenstrom where you just, you throw him in front and he, he can maybe grab a few garbage goals at some point, but he's, he's that big body that, you know, for years we were looking for physicality in Toronto and now you've got Simmons, you've got Nick Ritchie, you've got Kyle Clifford. If, if, you know, he, he does come up. Um, I, I just think, you know, for that kind of money, you've got to find a way to make it, make it, you know, a good relationship in Toronto. And you hear a lot of, you know, the talk of why, why Ritchie didn't stick in, you know, Boston or why, why teams didn't maybe, 
want to, you know, work with him. Anaheim was another, another team that, uh, you know, seemed to get him out as quickly as they could. Um, you know, I, I think he's just, I think he's a player that needs a little bit more, uh, not so much development, but um, kind of like, uh, I don't know, you need to cater to him a little bit more. You need to, you need to find a way to, to work with him. He's a different personality. He's a different guy on the, on the ice. You need, you need to get him, get him going and, and, He's a guy that feeds off of his own confidence. And right now I don't think he has any. So I, I think, you know, you get him going a little bit, give him 10, 15 minutes a game. Uh, he's a guy that could maybe start producing for you at some point, but yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. He's not going anywhere, Alex. Um, even when McKay comes back, I think Angville's the odd man out. I think that that line of Kashe and Kampf and uh, McKay at some point is going to be, I mean, that's going to be hard to stop. That's going to be probably one of the top third lines in, in the league. Um, not just on paper, but I mean, we've seen what they've done lately. But um, in terms of the Hall and Muzzin pairing uh, against Pittsburgh, they were awful. Uh, Muzzin looked like he was playing minor league non-contact hockey and, and didn't know what to do. And that's not the Muzzin that, you know, they signed to that four-year deal. He, you know, he's a guy that, likes to go out there and likes to play the body and likes to be physical and likes to block shots and get involved. And he just seems to shy away from the play and make silly, silly passes. Doesn't look up ice um, whenever he's playing with Holland. I don't know what it is. Um, I've been trying, I've been trying to watch closely and and figure out what, what the hell is going on. But then I, I look at like hockey reference right now has Justin Hall credited with eight giveaways. And I swear to God over the last two games, those are where the eight giveaways came in because I'm, I, he's had at least eight giveaways in the last two games. Um, in terms of the Pittsburgh game, he was awful. Uh, again, there was another giveaway behind the net. That's what led to uh, the goal for Rasmus Dahlin against, against Bo- uh, Buffalo a few games back. And he just, he doesn't seem poised and even the young guys like Sandine and and Lilligren the way they're playing is is they're they're playing poised they're playing with confidence and and Hall doesn't have it and for me this whole seven defenseman rotation is is complete bullshit I think if you've got a hot lineup you got to go with it um if Dermot's playing well go with it like this you're, you're trying to find possibly a trade partner put the guy in the lineup and let him play Maybe he's a guy that you can move at the deadline and get a, a solid piece, but you have to play what's hot. And Lilligren has earned every minute that he's got. He had a he had a bit of a rough game this 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 past weekend, but he has earned every minute that he's gotten. Rasmus Sandin's playing out of his mind. I think you know what he's been able to do for that power play and what he's been able to do. You know, even just him and Lilligren together, that's that. It's been a pretty incredible pairing um, from from what we've seen, the small sample size that we've seen, but. At some point, you have to say, you know what? Forget this seven defenseman rotation that we have going on. Justin Hall's the weak link. He's the one that we need to get out of that lineup. He's the one that needs to sit. He's the one that needs to watch from above. And and the game looks a lot simpler from up there. So he needs to figure out what the hell's going on and get him back in that lineup when he plays with a little bit more confidence. I think that's where they're at right now. And and for them to continue to play him, for them to continue to put him on on a pairing with Muzzin, I think all you're doing is is hurting Muzzin's uh, ability to to play the game that he's so used to playing, and and then you're going to walk into the playoffs and and losing the first round again because you're going to have a guy that does not play with confidence. So um, that's where I'm at with that experiment. I think 
Keith's got to figure it out and, and, and get him out of the lineup as soon as possible. And I think Muzzin's trying to do too much offensively. I think maybe his his game came around offensively last year, and I think maybe he's just trying to do a bit too much with the passing, although that long stretch pass that I mentioned to Marner in the game against the Islanders was a terrific pass. But I think it's just more of him being opportunistic mm-hmm. instead of just forcing the play. And the difference between Hall and Muzzin right now and Sandina Lilligren is that when they when they make a mistake – they brush it off and they bounce back and they have a dominant shift right after. So even though that it may seem like a low point in the game, they come back flying and they make an immediate impact, whether it's defensively, offensively, they're there. And I think that's the difference between the two right now. But how much of that though, from Muzzin is, is like overcompensating because he's worried about what, what play hall is going to make next. I mean, I, 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 I was a defenseman when I played and, and I know like, I knew when I could rush, which, which partner I was with. And, and when I had to stay back because I had to overcompensate for the, and I was an offensive guy. Like I, I, I love to get involved and, and shoot the puck and, and go for those, you know, Bobby Orr rushes, but um, you know, a little dipsy doodle at the blue line and, and tuck when I'm, when I was up there. But um, no, I, I honestly, I think Muzzin, it's not on Muzzin. I think it comes down to, he's trying to overthink the play because he's, mm. he's worried about, putting those cross cross ice passes across the hall. And if he's going to lose the puck, Muzzin's not the quickest guy. He's going to have to play back. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't know. That's just what I'm taking away from it right now. I obviously watching from afar, you're not, you know, you're not involved. You don't know what's going on, but that's, that's my mentality. If I'm, if I'm sitting in Muzzin's spot. Yeah. Muzzin has coincidentally or not at all looked at his worst in the games when he's played with Hall. And I, I noticed that he looked completely fine anytime he played with TJ Brody. So I don't know. I think a lot of people, you know, they, they kind of flip flop on, Oh, Justin Hall. He hasn't looked great today. What's going on. But it always seems to be the games when he's playing with Justin Hall, where he doesn't look good. And yeah. obviously I don't yeah. think that's a coincidence. So yeah, I think no, you have 100%. a big enough sample size right now to determine, you know, what's going to yeah, work I mean, and what is it right now. <laughs> you're a quarter, you're a quarter of the way through the season. At some point you have to sit down and say, you know what, this isn't working. This isn't working, yeah. right? Um, aside from that, guys, uh, you know, we kind of touched on the Clifford deal. Anything you guys wanted to add to that? I mean, obviously, came across for future future considerations. Uh, a pretty solid ad. Obviously, Dubas has got some loyalty to uh, to bringing Clifford back. And, you know, Cliffy was pretty happy in it when he got the call from from Dubas to, to return to Toronto. So, any thoughts you guys wanted to add to that one? I don't really have any thoughts. I think it's a – a good insurance move for the playoffs like i said if a guy like wayne simmons goes down with an injury or even nick ritchie i think clifford's a guy that you can call upon to come in and uh you know provide some grit and if nothing else he'll be a great veteran uh mentor for the guys in the ahl i i actually saw them running a i saw the the marley's running a line the other day of clifford clune and uh uh curtis douglas yeah, I remember just thinking well, that is the definition of a goon line, and they still have Curtis Gabriel <laughs> down there. He was he wasn't even on that line, so the uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm just you know, it's just one of those things where he, the Leafs aren't really paying him anything right now. They gave up future considerations for him, just whatever. I, I don't know how anyone could possibly have have a negative take come from that. Just, I mean, whatever it, is what it is. Hell, if you if you need uh, somebody to come in and take out a goal, you can always throw Clifford into the uh, lineup as well. So, um, like, so just hope he doesn't do it to his own goalie since it was Mrazek last time too. 
I got lambasted uh, for saying that when I saw Cloud Clifford on waivers, I got quite a bit of pushback saying that, like I said, Clifford over Richie in terms of like value contract wise and the money and what you're getting for the player effort and effort that, that yeah. alone, the effort, like what he puts into a game is exactly I mean, like I, I got a quite a bit of pushback and then lo and behold, a day later, Maple Leafs acquired Kyle Clifford. So should have just responded to all those, uh, all those tweets with the clown emoji. It's my clown, go-to. Yeah. <laughs> or clown. either that or say, and then what happened? Yeah. And then what happened? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think uh, the news speaks for itself. And, and, and again, you know, when, when Clifford was a free agent, Kyle Dubas really did want to resign him. It's just, it wasn't going to work out. So he becomes a free agent. Uh, I believe he signed with that contract with the St. Louis blues. And then, you know, it just didn't work out. But now they found a happy medium. They're back at reunited because the GM loves the player. The player loves the GM and the team. So they found common ground and they got back. And that's all that matters at this point. Yeah. Alex, possibly two of the most underrated signings in the offseason, David Kampf and uh, Andre Kasha. What are your thoughts on these two? Obviously, what they've done this season and, uh, you know, what they bring to the lineup moving forward. You know, provided that these guys are, I mean, when I say these guys, I'm mainly talking about Kasha, but provided that both these guys are healthy come the playoffs, they are going to be so, so crucial down the stretch. It's not even funny. You know what? I, I, I always, I was high on the Kasha signing from the beginning because I, I ever said, like, I hadn't really got a chance to watch him that much, but I knew of him enough. I knew of him as a player enough to know that when this guy's healthy, like getting him at just over a million a year is an absolute bargain. And it's, you know, I mean, the fact that he's uh, he's going to be an RFA at the end of the year is pretty clutch too, because it means the Leafs have more options when it comes to re-signing him. Um, and in terms of David Camp, I mean, I wasn't really excited about this signing from the very beginning. I wasn't against it, but you know, I saw that Jay Fresh chart and he had all these red, he had all, he had all these red numbers on him. And I think Lee's Twitter as a whole was just kind of like, why, why did the Leafs bring this guy in? Because he had one goal all of last year. And there was all of a sudden this talk of him being the third line center. And look what he's, look what he's been able to do this year as the third, as the third line center, along with Kasha. I think those guys bring an immense amount of energy and comp is kind of provide. He's, he's kind of playing the role of uh, what I'd expect like a Philip Deneau to play. And, you know, we all saw what Deneau did in shutting down the least top guys in the playoffs last year. And if Kampf can even provide a fraction of that, I think we're, I think the least will be laughing. So I'm, I'm very happy with what I've seen from both of those guys this year. And also shout out to my, my buddy, Sammy Turpak for um, uncovering the whole, the, the whole story that Kasha and Kampf have actually been best friends since they were like two years old. I, I noticed that he tweeted that and it kind of blew up. And then all of a sudden everybody else started picking up on it. They mentioned it on the broadcast the other night. Um, and then there were more stories being released about how Kasha and Kampf go, go way back and stuff. And I think he started all that. So yeah, shout out Sammy for that one. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Uh, I mean, Peter, pretty crazy story. The fact that these guys have been playing together for, for years beyond or before they, they made the NHL and, and now they're kind of reunited in Toronto and, and seem to be clicking. Like it's almost like nothing ever, you know, there was no time that passed between, you know, then and now. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what have you taken away from their play so far this season? Yeah. Like, I I mean, I I knew about their chemistry going back to the U18s because they were on a team with like David Pasternak and, and they all, 
came up through the ranks uh, through the Czech team as well, and even their uh, team of uh, Parati Chomudov as well. So the fact that they were that it extends beyond their hockey days, going way back to when they were younger. I mean, that's just even more phenomenal, and just shows you know the friendship and the bond and the chemistry that they have, and it's and it's just uh, evident on the ice. I mean, th- th- there's no other way to look at that. And I, I did a uh, story on like Kasha's, uh, you know, rebound after, you know, two rough seasons or even just rough seasons in general, because he's dealt with a lot of injuries. And despite them facing a lot of like defensive zone responsibilities, they're still an offensive threat. I mean, you see the chances, you see the zone time that they get, the plays, they, they just read off each other perfectly. And I, I, I it's this is the kind of third line that the Toronto Maple Leafs have wanted and they wanted to get consistency from not just be an offensive kind of line, but also be responsible. And Sheldon Keefe has mentioned plenty of times that he's going to rely on this group or at numerous points during the season. I mean, they're going to, as Alex said, they're going to be critical going forward because they can handle that zone time. They can handle going up against the best players. They, and you know what we knew about Kasha's speed and his tendencies to be aggressive on the forecheck. I'm more impressed with David Comp's skating. I, 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 apparently that was like a knock on him saying that he wasn't as quick as some of the other players, but he's got some pretty good speed. So the fact that that when and and we talked about this before, if and when Ilya Mikheyev comes back, all three are really great skaters, and that's just going to be really really fun to watch because the third line is going to do a lot of damage in the future. Yeah, I mean, worth noting that Conf is uh, I think winning faceoffs at close to 58 percent um, combined through the first nineteen games. They have seven goals and eleven points. Uh, really, that's I mean, that's kind of what you're looking for from your third line, and and the defensive covers that David Conf brings. Uh, I, I'm working on a uh, on a piece on him as as one of the most integral signings for the Leafs this offseason, I, and I truly believe that because I, I think it's 60 percent of his faceoffs have come in the defensive zone, and for him to win at a at a click of almost 58 percent, I mean, this is the guy that you're counting on to be that guy, uh, you know, late in games, late in periods where you need a faceoff win in your own your own end and you know you're sending out David Kampf he's he's not a household name but he's a guy that's going to get the job done and that's exactly what the Leafs have been kind of missing over the last couple of seasons is that you know the the accountability on the third and fourth line and I think that's that's kind of what they're you know they're going down that road and and I really I really like those two together and and I mentioned it earlier I like I like the idea of maybe bringing McKayev in as that third third guy on that third line and, and see what he can do. And, you know, the speed that he can bring with him and Kasha going, you know, wing and wing and, and working their way up the ice. So uh, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a solid third line. The, the two of them together is just uh, it's, it's going to be fun to watch all season long. Um, before we do get into the prospect talk, we should mention former captain Dion Phaneuf and uh Guys, I, I, you know, I'll be the first to admit that over the years with with Phaneuf in Toronto, I gave him a, a lot of a lot of flack. Uh, but you know, a thousand forty eight regular season games over his career, he played for Toronto, Calgary, Ottawa, and LA. Had one hundred thirty seven goals, four hundred ninety four points. Um, he played four hundred twenty three games with the Leafs. 45 goals, 196 points, 14 seasons overall with 1,345 penalty minutes. 
Um, he was part of that collapse in the seven game series against Boston. Uh, I'm sure he still has nightmares about that. I know I do. Uh, 55 playoff games with 21 points. He was a finalist for the Calder in 05-06. He was a finalist for the Norris in 07-08. Three-time NHL All-Star and won two golds and a silver representing Canada. What are your thoughts, Alex, on Dion Phaneuf calling it a career? I think Dion Phaneuf was the most unfairly hated Leaf in recent memory. And I tweeted that the other day. You know... My, 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 here's the thing. I, I understand why some people didn't like FNUF, but the, I think a lot of the reasons that they didn't like FNUF were reasons that he didn't, he couldn't really control. I mean, you know, you say he, people say he shouldn't have been captain. Well, you know, if he gets offered the captaincy, what's he going to do? Say, no, nah, I don't deserve it. Obviously not. He's not going to say that. And, you know, it, it, people hated his salary, but if, hell, if I got offered $7 million to play, play hockey for a living, obviously I'd fucking take it. Like, Jesus, you know, it just, the way I see it, if Dion Phaneuf was making $4 million playing on the Leafs second pairing and didn't have the responsibility that he did or the, you know, the pressure that he did, the pressure of being a captain and the pressure of, you know, being that number one defenseman for the Leafs, I think Leaf fans would have loved him because I went back, you know, I went back and I watched a compilation of him taking slap shots and oh, I, I, I missed that slap shot on the power play. I'm not going to lie. I truly miss that slap shot on the power play. And, you know, I think, I think Lee fans have kind of been reminded, especially some of the newer ones over the past couple of years that, you know, Phaneuf was truly a great guy. And, you know, we hear all these stories about how he invited Marner to sit next to him on the plane and just sat down and talked to him for the entire plane ride and how, you know, he, he how involved he was in the community and how often he was at the hospitals visiting uh, visiting sick children and all that and you know he were he really was a great representative of the city of Toronto uh it's unfortunate that he didn't have any sort of success in Toronto but at the same time I you know he had a he had a hell of a career and uh wish him all the best in retirement Peter, what are your uh, your thoughts on Finnis' tenure with the the Maple Leafs and and calling it a career, hanging them up? Yeah, like Alex, you know, said it best. I mean, he was like there were some really high points with Dion Phaneuf. Like everybody really loved the move when they came when he came over because let's face it, he was the type of defender that they were lacking. You know, hard shot, physical. And everything like that. He, he like he he was the protocol prototypical player during that time that you wanted to have on your team. There's no other way around it. Dion Phaneuf in his prime, you wanted to have him. It's just that as his, the years went on, when yeah, he was his play didn't quite match up from what it was in his early years in Toronto compared to what it was at the end. But let's face it, the team as a whole just didn't quite gel. They went through numerous coaching changes, a lot of player personnel. Um, it, 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 the the on-ice product wasn't great. And like Alex said, I think Dion, like a lot of the pressure came on Dion for the shoulders because he was the captain. And, you know, but at the same time, he did have his mistakes and everyone was complaining about the fact that, you know, same thing what we're seeing with Muzzin at Hall, you know, turnovers, trying to do a bit too much and everything like that. And I think that may have caught up and, I let's not remember for the bad things that he did as or the bad things as a Maple Leaf. Like let's look at the fact that he gave Toronto hope and, you know, he did everything that he could, whether it was a mistake or not on the ice, whether it was a 
bad pass or going to make a hit instead of like, you know, making the play to make a defensive in a, in a defensive situation. He was like you said, Alex, an all around great human being, great person, great personality. So, I mean, he was a menace on the ice with his stature and his physical play, but hearing all these stories, you know, he's the nicest guy in the world. And again, this is what we should remember him for. Remember the highs, remember the great moments. Yeah. Disappointment with the 2013 playoff team who wouldn't be, but at the same time, you know, still phenomenal career. And I, and again, we all took notice of him with that double D on against Russia and that, that to me is going to be the fondest memory. And even uh, circulating when he retired, that massive hit that he laid on Stefan DaCosta, clean open ice hit. And that was just like, you know, I think even Steve Dangle mentioned that it's just like, Dion Phaneuf makes a hit, Stefan DaCosta goes back to the bench. Yeah, that was my fault. Uh, just like when, when Dion Phaneuf was out there, he was the best and he was one to be feared with nonstop. And the fact that he had some really great years with the Maple Leafs. It, it just, it, I just wish it could have gone better or ended better for him and the organization. Yeah. I mean, look, the fact is he's, he's probably a two, three defenseman that was placed in, in the number one role on a team mm-hmm. that had no identity, no idea where they were going. And, yeah. and really the expectations were out of this world for a guy like him. And, and Alex, you mentioned it. When you're asked to be a captain, you're not going to say no unless you're Artemi Panarin. Um, and, and, I mean, even then, like, you know, he was offered the contract that he was offered. He was offered the C in, in a city that loves its hockey. And he's a guy that loves his hockey. He's a guy that, you know, loves his community. He was part of the, the you know, uh, took part in some of the stuff that go, went on at the hospital in Calgary. He was there at Sick Kids in Toronto. Um, he's a community guy. Um, you know, put up with a lot of shit in Toronto and, and every time he answered the bell and came out and talked to the media, spoke to the Steve Simmons, spoke to the Dave Fezchucks, spoke to the Damian Coxes of, of, of the Toronto media that love to just pick apart and pry into the lives of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he did it with class and he didn't, he didn't call them out. He didn't, you know, yell at them or give them, give them shit when they asked their questions. He answered every single question. And still they found a way to pick him apart for wearing a hat that wasn't a Maple Leafs hat. I think he was wearing a Red Bull hat or some Red shit Bull. like that. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, this is a guy that literally put up with some stupid shit in Toronto and don't, still came Don't even out. get me started on Salute Gate. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's, yeah. And he still – the first thing he did with his retirement was, was, was address salute gate. I mean, what does that tell you about this guy? And here he is, you know, just enjoying, enjoying his life, enjoying his kids. He's got another one on the way. Um, and, you know, like I said, I'll be the first to admit, I gave him a hard time. I, I, I called him a pylon a, a number of times in Toronto. Um, the way he stood in front of the net with one hand on the stick, it, it killed me. But he gave it his all when he was out there and he played hard and he took the slappers that, you know, maybe, maybe they missed the net by five feet. It was not a Cody CC, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think, I, I, I think an even better question to ask is what is the fact that he had to address salute gate say about Leaf fans yeah, more than absolutely. Say about enough. Absolutely. Right? Like, I mean, you know, the teams, yes, they were playing like shit, but 
you know, if you're going out there and you're getting booed by your own fans, why would you want to salute them? If you're 100%. getting, if it's, if, if you're regularly getting booed out there on the ice, why would, why would they feel any need to, to salute you and thank you for showing up, spending money to show up at the rink and, and, and shit on them? Like, look, why do you have to salute your fucking fans anyways? You're, you're, you're <laughs> yeah, playing exactly. a fucking game of hockey. When did, when did mm-hmm. salute, uh, the, saluting the fans after every goddamn game become a thing? That, that, I mean, you know, you go out, you win the game, you, you, you send your fans home happy. You go, you lose the game, and you know what? The fans come back the next game and, and want to, you know, want to see you guys win. It's, it, this, this whole salute thing is just, to me, is complete bullshit anyways. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm happy for Phaneuf. He got his 1,000 games. He played hard. He played well. The double Dion will, will live on in, in world junior history forever. Um, but I, I got to tell you a quick story that I think of when I think of Dion because my first live event covering uh, or covering a live event for, for the hockey writers was the outdoor game at the big house. That was my first ever live event. And I'll, I'll tell you, I walked in that dressing room and I was in absolute awe. I was, I was fanboying like crazy. There's, you know, there's the locker rooms. I saw, you know, Henrik Zetterberg playing soccer outside of the big house in the, you know, the dead of winter is freezing cold. Um, and I was driving on my way home from, uh, from Michigan to, uh, to London. And I stopped at one of the on routes, just, just across the border back in Canada, I should say on my way home. And uh, I could hear this voice behind me and I, I, I recognized it, but I could not place it. I could not place it. So I did one of the old, uh, you know, the old selfie things where, you know, you've kind of put the phone up and, and look in behind you to see who it is. Alicia Cuthbert. Uh, standing, standing right behind me, talking to her sister about how they didn't get to travel with the team to, to Michigan. So, um, that, that, you know, that's Dion Phaneuf gave me that memory and, and I'll get to, I'll get to kind of tell that story is as silly as it is to my kid. And, um, you know, to, to Dion Phaneuf, I hope, I, I hope he has a spot in, in Toronto's management team, because I think he's, I think he's, he's a guy that, you know, has that veteran leadership and, and wants to be, there's a reason why they gave him the C. There's a reason mm-hmm. why they gave him the C. And it's, I think he's, he's a misunderstood player that, uh, um, you know, we only got a taste of as, as the outsiders looking in, but he's a guy that in the dress room, from what I've heard, uh, has a lot of personalities and, and is a great guy. So to Dion Phaneuf, congratulations and, and yeah. enjoy retirement, enjoy the family, enjoy the, the, uh, the, the new little one that, uh, when, whenever they might be born, um, you know, uh, life, life is so special and, and hopefully, hopefully we'll be talking about a FNUF in season 23 of, uh, sticks in the six. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> making hits and making clappers from that's, that point, just like his dad. That's right. That's right. Uh, let's go a little Marley's and prospect talk. Uh, Josh Hosang, um, Alex, you want to take this one away because, what a goal. What a goal against Lehigh Valley. Oh, yeah. That was a ridiculous goal. And um, it, it's one of those things where it's unfortunate that you got to be that guy afterwards. But you got it's worth a reminder that that, that whole thing's not going to be getting called up anytime soon. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's for the better. Honestly, I, I, I think the Leafs are doing what they did with Galchenyuk with Hosang here. And I think, but they, I think the difference is that there's possibility for them to reap even more rewards than they did with Galchenyuk. I mean, you're looking at a guy who, um, Hosang's had a couple looks here and there in the NHL since he's since he was drafted, but nothing in recent memory. 
and you know didn't didn't work out in Long Island. Obviously, the Leafs signed him, and I think I, I could honestly see them using him as sort of a guy who they they bring up and sign to an NHL contract at the trade deadline and sort of use him as like an acquisition without having to give anything up because I truly believe that, you know, Hosang doing what he's doing right now, I think when the Leafs sign him eventually and they give him a position to succeed in, I think they're, I think we're going to be seeing a special player and not just a guy, you know, you know give him a, give, give this guy from the Marlies a call and see how he does. I think we're going to be seeing a guy who will remind us why he was a first round pick and remind us why he thought that he was the most talented player in that draft class. I mean, Hosang is a very talented player all around, and I think the Leafs system works perfectly for him. We saw how he worked in preseason on that line with Michael Bunting and John Tavares, and I think we could see something else like that uh, towards the end of the season. So I, I, I don't expect to see him with the Leafs anytime soon, but boy, when he signs with the Leafs, it's going to be a fun time. I'll leave it at that. Peter, eight goals, four assists for 12 points in 13 games. And, I mean, this guy just looks like he's having a good time. Um, you know, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Josh Hosang and, and the possibility of, you know, maybe he comes up around the deadline. Maybe he's a guy that next year they take a good look at in terms of signing him to an NHL deal. Yeah, I mean, the, the production and the, and the type of goals that he's scoring too, like just like the OT winner, you know, just dangles the defender, snipes it, and then he sells hard after that. He, um, the amount, like, even so, like, he's, he's scoring from all areas of the ice, from long range, short range. He's doing it all. And, you know, for someone who's known as a playmaker, I mean, his shot is just absolutely phenomenal. Like, I mean, uh, whoever labeled him as a playmaker, I mean, yeah, he has the hands, but at the same time, focus on the shot because this guy's going to be a two-way or he could have been a two-way threat had he got a major opportunity to succeed in the Islanders organization. And, you know, I, 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 I know in my mind or my heart's telling me sign him right now and bring him up because he deserves a spot on the roster more so than possibly Pierre Engvall at this point. Cause you know, you're going to get the consistency and the play more from Hosang. But in my mind, like Alex said, it's probably not going to happen given that the fact that the team's having success right now, Aria log jam on the positions, especially on the right-hand side, if he's going to play on the right wing can possibly play on his offside. I don't know. But the fact that you have the right side already filled up, it, it, it's just so difficult for him right now. And I, I want to see it happen, but it's just not going to, I really want to. And I've even said it multiple times. I'm like, sign him to a contract, bring him up right now because this guy's deserved it. He's put in the work. He's put in the effort. He's determined and he's got the mentality right now. And if he, once he does come up, man, is he ever going to produce for the Maple Leafs? Not necessarily at the level of, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, but he's going to be a really great secondary scorer. And, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just waiting for that moment right now. He'd be a much better option on the first line than Nick Ritchie, but um, yeah, no, I, I think, I think you guys are spot on. I, I don't think we're going to see him anytime soon, but um, the, the, the best part, like I said, I, I think the way that he, you know, got up and sullied after that goal it just, it reminded me so much of like, you know, minor league hockey. You're just, you're just in there. You're just having fun. You, you know, the second you can yeah. put the puck in the net, you know, you, you go and sell your heart and, and it's all about just 
you know, having fun. And, and I think he, he got away with that or he got away from that in the New York uh, organization. I think, you know, going overseas and, and getting the opportunity to play in Sweden, he kind of got a feel for, or it was a little bit of a reminder as to, you know, what the game was all about. And I think you were seeing a little bit more of that in with the Marlies this season. He's, he's, and he's having fun rather than making it his job. And in doing that, he's getting back to what he was able to do with Windsor and Niagara in the OHL and, and play, play well and, and play hard and, and still have fun with it. So um, like I said, even, you know, you don't get him up this year. Maybe he's a guy that you look at next year to sign to an NHL contract or a two way contract. And he's a guy that could be a call up, uh, you know, moving forward, but he's a guy that's starting to believe in himself and again, again. And I think that's, you know, that's the kind of mentality you want in that room. He's a guy that's gone through a lot. Uh, and those are the guys that kind of work harder for you. And, uh, it'll be fun to see what he can do, not only for the Marlies, maybe, maybe they go on a run for the Calder cup this year. Uh, and, and he's, he's kind of that guy that, uh, you know, they, they focus on, but, um, yeah, solid play by him so far. And, and I'd love to see him at, in the big leagues at some point. Um, other guys, Toby Niamela and, uh, Nice. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Nice. 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 Kind of like Borat. Nice. Very nice. He's nice. got, a, I, I hope to, to the love of God and everything he's good for, I hope that Matthew Nice wears the number 69 when he gets to Toronto. Just so we can see, we can <laughs> nice. have a jersey that says nice 69. <laughs> Please, uh, guys, we're all we're we're all kind of prospect uh, prospect guys. Um, Peter, let's let's start with you. What are your thoughts on on the way that uh, Niamela's played, and, and obviously, nice uh, the way that he's played as well. Uh, I, I mean, I, I I know Alex wrote a massive article on Niamela, so I'm just going to keep it short and simple. This guy is really really good. I mean, there's no other way around it. Um, the fact that the Maple Leafs were able to select him, I, I mean, he was supposed to be a top 64 pick. The fact that he even fell out of the second round is a major no-no. And the Toronto Maple Leafs just swooped him up after that trade with the Ottawa Senators. So the fact that they got him, the fact that he's improved, the fact that his offensive game is coming around, because we already knew about his defensive awareness, Um this is a guy that's going to be a two-way threat, and I'm really excited for when he makes the jump over to Toronto because, man, he's going to be so good. And, you know, we, we talk about right-handed shot defensemen with top four potential. He's your guy. He's a guy that's going to be relied on heavily. You're not going to – I mean, players make mistakes, but, you know, the easy ones that shouldn't be made, he's definitely not going to make them because um, the, the way that he's composed and the way that he's playing in the, at the senior level at such a young age is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, in terms of Matthew Nyes, I mean, whew, again, talk about making your only pick in the, in the first two rounds count. The Maple Leafs definitely made a count. Um, just absolutely tearing it up right now. He's already a point per game with the Gophers. Um, I, I, I'm actually writing something on ice right now. Um, he has only two players from that draft class have a better point per game average than him. Josh Doan, 1.25 and Matthew Coronado, 1.14 in the NCAA among freshmen. So he sits third in that regard and six in point per game. 
Um, just at, and th- this guy just loves to shoot, man. He just wants to be in on the offense nonstop, and also a very good defensive game too. That was a very underrated aspect for him. And I'm I was just going through some of the numbers or looking back on his stats in his draft year. Obviously, rough start, major uh, early season struggles. He only had about four points in 13 games, but it, it was his production and bounce, ability to bounce back afterwards. Um, in 31 games after that, he had 36 points, 1.16 point per game. Of his 42 points in his draft year, 32 were primary points, and that accounted for 76% of his point totals. So this is a guy that's going to, he's going to do his damage and take charge of a play and be a major difference factor. And he's going to be the one leading the play in that regard. Um, there was a recent clip of his goal um, uh, from Friday where he takes a shit, where he takes a shot, puck goes wide, puck comes back to him. He goes into the middle of the ice for a high danger shot, gets, gets a good shot on, um, goes directly in for his rebound and he just sticks with the play. And that just uh, speaks to his vision and his awareness. And it's already at a high level right now. So the fact that he's doing this much damage as a freshman in a very competitive league, uh, the Maple Leafs have got something special. And, and I think we're going to see him in conversation as a top prospect with Nimella with Robertson and with uh, Rodin and Mirov because he, I don't think there's any slowing down with him. And when he's on his game, he's tough to beat with his size and his strength. Alex, uh, you know, you, you're kind of doing this thing for the hockey writers uh, over the last little bit of weekly uh, prospect roundup. Um, what we've seen over the last little bit, I want to say the last couple of drafts is that is a very much like Detroit Red Wings mentality where, the Leafs are are looking at some of their deeper picks, making some solid acquisitions in terms of what they can get in the draft as prospects, but also developing them in a way that you know maybe maybe they don't see the NHL as quickly as as you know normally we would expect them to. Sandine's a great example. Lilligren's a great example. Uh, Nick Robertson, obviously with injuries, he's he's a guy who's seen a lot more AHL time. Are we with Niamela and a guy like uh, Nice? Are we are we talking about some guys that you know maybe we see more of a development route with them in Toronto? Um, you know, obviously NCAA for Nice and and Niamela's playing overseas still, but is is Toronto starting to figure out what they need to do to develop these guys properly? Well, I, I should hope so, because for the longest time, Toronto was essentially a prospect graveyard. I mean, you look at any other draft classes between 2006 and like 2013, basically, just most of it was a wash. So you, you'd hope that they're kind of developing that sort of mentality. And just to touch on Nimala again, I wrote an article about him and I, um, I mentioned this on the Maple Leafs Lounge this morning. Um, so he has, as it stands right now, 20 points in 23 games for Carpod in the SM Liga. He's a 19-year-old defenseman who's got 20 points in 23 games. And I did the math, and the highest scoring season by a 19-year-old defenseman in Liga history was Sammy Vatman in 2010, I want to say it was, and he had 30 points in 52 games. Now, we've seen a couple of other players kind of come close to that. We've Miro Heiskanen in his draft year, he had – 
he had 23 points in 30 games. And there, there were some other guys, uh, uh, Vili Hanela is one of those guys. Yoni Pitkinen had totals that were similar. But as it stands right now, what Nimala is doing over there in Finland, it's, it's borderline never before seen. And if he keeps producing the way that he is, um, he's going to he's going to break records over there. And I think the most impressive part about it for me personally is the fact that when the Leafs drafted him, he wasn't known as an offensive dynamo. He was known for his his great defensive awareness for his age. And, you know, you look at his totals from the year that the Leafs drafted him, he had only seven points in 50-something games or something. I can't remember exactly how many it was. But it was the fact that, you know, this guy is six, 17, 18 years old. And I've always said when on the topic of European prospects, European teams, pro teams, are not concerned about developing prospects for NHL teams. So, you know, if, you, if you've got a guy on your team out there and he's young and he doesn't, he, he's your 13th best forward. He's going to be the 13th forward. They're not going to put him in the lineup just to, to, to develop his game only for him to leave for a couple leave a couple years later. So the fact that Nimala played 50 games in his 17, 18 year old season for his team is a, it's a very telling sign of how good defensively he is. And then you factor in this newfound offense that just came out of nowhere this year. I, I, I genuinely think the Leafs found a diamond in the rough here. And I think if he doesn't come over to the, to the Marlies by midseason, I think he's going to be there after the season without a doubt. And I think as early as next, this might be a hot take, but as early as next season, I think we could see him get a call up from the Leafs. Wow. So that's my, that's my take right there. I don't know if he'll stick. I think the Leafs would want to get him more or less a full season in the AHL, kind of like they did with Sandine and like they've done with Lilligren. Like you said, Forbes, I think the development aspect is going to be a big one with a guy like Nimala, but I would not be surprised at all to see him get a call up next year and just see, um, see what he's made of because he's going to have to learn to adjust the North American ice. I think that's a big thing there, but um, I, I'm over overall. I'm very impressed with what I've seen from him so far. Worth noting that uh, you mentioned the graveyard of prospects that the Leafs have had. Uh, 22nd overall pick in 2011, Tyler Biggs. Oh, no, last no, no, played no, no. Last played for the Kalamazoo Wings in the ECHL in 2018-19 with nine points in 13 games. So great, great job, Tyler Biggs, for making the NHL. I remember going to a game. I, I believe it was game – the Calgary Flames affiliate at the time, I think it was Abbotsford, Abbotsford Heat. And I went with my buddy to a Marley's game to see William Nylander play, and Tyler Biggs was on that team. First garbage. shift. Garbage. First shift, he suffers a leg injury, and, he, and I think it was a broken leg, and I think this is where the setback started even more with the injuries and everything like that for Tyler Biggs, and that was just really unfortunate. But it just goes to show that the scouting department mid dropped the ball. And I've written about the 2011 draft class and draft misses for the Maple Leafs since the lockout. And the list is staggering. And Tyler Biggs just didn't quite work. I mean, I mean, obviously he didn't work out. But the fact that you had faith in him because, again, size factor, this big bruising power forward didn't quite amount to much. And you look at guys like Ricard Raquel, John Gibson, Nikita Kucherov, who you could have had in your grasp. Obviously you can't, you can't predict the future, but in hindsight, if you did, it would have worked out in your favor tremendously more so than it did with Tyler Biggs. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, also worth noting that uh, another prospect to keep an eye on, uh, Vyacheslav Peksa, um, playing yeah. over the MHL, 10 Eight and five in twenty-four games played with a one seventy-eight goals against, nine forty save percentage and four shutouts. So you want to talk about goaltending with this organization, and the fact that they haven't been able to develop their own goaltenders over the last few years. This is a guy that definitely you need to keep an eye on. I think uh, you know Shalgren's another guy that uh, they they definitely uh, you know they're looking towards having at the NHL level at some point in the next couple of years. Um, but, uh, you know, the Leafs are doing things the right way. And that's the big thing to take away from this last little bit of Leaf talk here. Um, no more Tyler Biggs, a lot more Topi Niamela. Um, before we get into our little rundown on NHL news, I know we wanted to have a little discussion about the New York Islanders and their lovely scumbag fans. Um, Alex. I'm just going to throw this one right to you because I know you have a lot to say when it comes to the Islanders fans. You know what? I'm just going to be straight up about it. And I hate to, I, I hate to paint all, I hate to paint an entire group of people under the same brush, but uh, they're kind of leaving me no choice right now. Islanders fans, you are fucking embarrassments. I, I'm sorry. Like, I, and you know what? I know that there are some good Islanders fans out there. I know that there are some there are some classy ones that have gotten over the whole JT thing and, you know, maybe had a little bit of bad blood with them at the start. But, at the, at the you know, at this point, like they should, three years later, they've gotten over it. But I cannot wrap my head around the fact that three years later after he signs in Toronto, he is still getting booed mercilessly every time he touches the puck. And I, you know... I would understand it a little more if he left and the Islanders just turned to shit, but they have been a better team ever since he left. And not to say that's because he left. I think, I think the hiring of Barry Trotz obviously was a big one. Same with Matt Barzell stepping into a bigger role. Um, but the, my point is, is that had Tavares left and the Islanders spun out, sure, I, I can see why there'd be a little bit more hard feelings between the two. But at the same time, you know, I just don't understand how they can still be so angry and still throwing temper tantrums over him leaving when they've had more success than the Leafs in the past three years. I, I just don't understand it. And, and, you know, the part that gets me too is how Islanders fans always go, oh, well, it's not because he left. It's how he left. Because I guess during the season he did an interview and he was asked about um, his thoughts on uh, – you know, his contract expiring. And he said he would love to remain in New York Islander. And it's like, well, no shit. Do you think he's going to fucking say, I'm going to test the market midway through the season? Do, like, do you really think like, obviously he wasn't being serious there. Obviously he's not going to come up front and say, yeah, I'm going to test the market. I, I don't really plan on staying here too much longer. Obviously he's going to stay, say that he wants to stay, but, and, and you know what? The other thing that pisses me off too, is that he took less to to play for Toronto. So it's not even like it was about the money. It was clearly because he wanted to go home and play for his hometown team. And it's, you know, even in the, in the first season after, after that happened, that first game when Islanders fans were just given, given JT hell. And they, that, that, I remember that game in in Long Island and I under, and I, I remember seeing shit like they were burning jerseys of his and stuff. And it's just like, grow up, man. Like, 
honest to God, he's a fucking hockey player. He's allowed to do what he wants. And you know what? I, I guarantee you that there are going to be some fans out there who are like, oh, I'd like to see how Leaf fans take it if Matthews goes to Arizona. And, you know, if that were to happen, if Matthews were to genuinely, if he were to go to Arizona, I wouldn't be too upset about it. I mean, obviously, it would suck to lose Austin Matthews. But when I say I wouldn't be too upset about it, I mean, I wouldn't hold a grudge against him because if he's leaving the Leafs for Arizona, obviously, that's because he wants to go home and play in the play in the city that he grew up in. Now, and even if he went to, say, like a, like the, the fucking, I don't know, L.A. Or, or the Rangers or whatever, I'm sure there would be bad blood. I'm sure there would be shitty fans out there. But personally, I would... I would respect what he did for the city of Toronto and I would, I'd give him a standing O whenever he came back unless he left in some sort of with, with some sort of bad blood and there was a reason for him leaving and he left and there was a, and it was because there was something between him and the fan base and there was an obvious reason for the fans to hate on him. Then yeah, maybe you can make an exception for that. But for, for Tavares, I mean, Islanders have been better ever since he left Toronto hasn't had the same success since they signed Tavares. He obviously wanted to go home to play for his hometown team. He took less to do it. I just don't understand why these fucking Isles fans can't get over it. It's just like Taylor Swift writing about writing about relationships from 10 years ago. Just get over it. I just, I, I don't understand it. I'm, you know what? And if I, if you let me keep going, I'm probably just going to repeat the same things over and over and over again. So I'll throw it back to you Forbes, but I'm just, I'm I, I I can't wrap my head around how embarrassing it is that they still treat him like this when he comes back. And I even especially after the other day when he he had nothing but good things to say when they when he was asked about their new arena he goes that's a great thing for a great fan base they've deserved that arena for a long time he's treating him with so much class and they still spit in his face every time he comes back I just I can't wrap my head around why they hate this guy so much it's just get over it already. And you know what? The, the other thing too, sorry, this is my last point. They only show up at games when John Tavares is in town for the opportunity to boo him. They spend money and they go to Islanders games and the fucking arena sells out every single time John Tavares is in the building just because the fans want to boo him. I think that says a lot about the fan base as a whole. So that's where I'll leave it. At least Taylor Swift has made catchy songs though. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't hear so. any bangers coming from Islanders fans. <laughs> hey, I was I was gonna say, look, heartache lasts forever. So T Swizzle, do your thing. Um, yes. <laughs> but uh, hey, boys, when are we when are we uh, grabbing those Tavares jerseys off the wall there and uh, going down to Long Island for a game? Oh, oh, I'm so down. I would. Um, that would be. I'm be so amazing. down, guys. I'd have a great time. But uh, Peter, do you want to add anything before I go on my little tangent here? Oh, I'm going to probably make it short and sweet because that was absolutely terrific, Alex. Um, get over it. Like, come on. Like, it's plain and simple. Like, how? I, I tweeted this out. It's going to be 21-21, and Isles fans are still going to be upset that John Tavares left the Islanders. It's going to be 100 years since that happened, and they're still going to go on and on about how John Tavares left the Islanders for Toronto. You want three things or a few things why he popped. I mean, obviously he left Toronto. I mean, Islanders to come to Toronto and play for his hometown team. I mean, let's face it. If I was playing anywhere else, I probably would have done the same thing. I want to go and play in Toronto. I want to be the kid where, you know, hometown kid, raise a cup. You want to live that dream. Who doesn't? Before he left, they didn't have a clear cut arena plan. They were going back and forth. 
between the two arenas and there was no home or no plan or anything like that. So they, their home arena wasn't set in stone Two management and the coaching staff before he left were absolutely abysmal, like poor decisions, poor roster management. Yeah. They made the playoffs, but you know, some of the moves that they made were very, very questionable. And I can understand JT's frustration where they, they had, didn't like he was doing his best to try and lead the team. Didn't quite get the support cast and, basically just said, you know what, Nate, I, I, again, I can't speak for him, but that to me would seem like a really good sticking point on why I would leave considering the fact that I've been there for so many years. There was no effort to make any steps forward to try and win whatsoever. Okay, fine, whatever. And three, again, goes back to my first point. Who doesn't want to, who doesn't want to live out their childhood dream? Like how, like you have to be a real scumbag to, trash on someone's dream like that like you always get the vote of confidence and support from everybody that you want to achieve your goals you want to be at the very best and achieve what you want to do the fact that they're ripping on them just for something as simple as that give me a break like get over it it's enough like it's been three years you wanted to have your little pout session booing him and throw snakes or whatever for one game okay fine whatever you got it out of your system or so we thought, and it's still happening three years later or four years. I don't know. I can't even count. I'm not even good at math. And that's how angry I am right now. But the fact that it's still going on, it's absolutely ridiculous. And even so, like some of the, some of the players too, they were going after Tavares. Like he had a target on his back too. Like to see that from the players themselves as well, that's just a little bit disrespectful in my books as well. Um, yeah. Deal with it get over it, whatever you want to do. It, it's sickening. Just stop already. All right. I I'm, I'm actually shocked that neither of you sit, neither of you mentioned this, but. Oh, wow. Guys, he's a family guy. Okay. His yeah. wife got a job in Toronto. Okay. That's true. Yeah. Working at the hospital in Toronto. Yeah. Of course his dream is to come back and play for his childhood team. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, his wife. And what amazes me is that America, the U.S., you are at an, a 50-year low in terms of divorce rate. You're at like 0.29 divorce rate. And you guys didn't even think about the fact that maybe maybe this guy who's starting a family with somebody that he cares about wants to be around her rather than mm-hmm. be playing in some shithole bar in Nassau Coliseum or wherever the fuck they were going to play their goddamn home games for the next three years. And he decided to come to a place where, you know what, they had, they had shit figured out, okay? Support his and, wife too. And support his wife and be there for his wife. And now they have a young family. And he's, he's a human fucking being, okay? Um, that, that, first of all, blows my, blows my mind. But on top of that, I mean, here's a guy who just wants to play the game. He wants to be a part of the team. He wants to be, you know, not maybe not that go-to guy. And in Toronto, he's not that go-to guy. He's one of the go-to guys, but he's not the go-to guy. He is a second-line center on a team that has a lot of star-studded talent. Um, he's playing for his childhood team. Um, he's near his family. He's with his wife. He's with his young kids. And he's playing in a city that respects the game and loves to be around the game. And 
you know, yeah, can Leafs Nation be shitty sometimes? Absolutely. I mean, we were throwing jerseys on the ice in game five of the season. Um, but it, it's a team that is so – or is it, it, it's a crowd that's so passionate about their team that they want to see them do well. Um and yeah, I mean, I, I'm with both of you guys. Like, I'm just, I'm just shell shocked that after three years, you're still shitting on this guy for wanting to come to Toronto. I mean, he took less. You guys are in a great, great cap situation because of it. Can you imagine had they signed, you know, John Tavares to an, a, you know, eleven, twelve million dollar contract, and then Matt have Barzell, lost Matt Barzell, yeah, and you would have lost Matt Barzell, yeah. and now you have Noah Dobson coming up for contract. You had Ryan Pollock. Uh, come up you had Adam Pellet come up um, you know you would have walked away from some big names in that organization to sign John Tavares um, yeah I mean at a certain point like quit being scumbags man just cheer for your goddamn team like yeah you guys have won more series than Toronto since he's left but you guys still haven't won a Stanley Cup um, what's the saying in, in Talladega Nights if you're not first or last at the end of the day, you guys are still last with us. You're you're golfing earlier than the Stanley Cup winners. So, um, to the Islanders fans out there, uh, you probably won't be listening to our show anyways. But you, you know, next time John Tavares comes to town, like just sit down, enjoy the game, and you know, yeah. have a couple of beers while you while you watch your team get beat. That's that's all. That's all I got. That's all I got. Uh. Forbes, um, just because I know this was our last uh, our last leaf topic here, I, before we move on to NHL news, I think we had a question to address. Yes, yes, you are right. You are our right. question from our from our only fan, not named Kyle. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. So our good friend uh, was it Nick? Nick. Yeah, Nick. Yeah. Our good friend Nick. Thanks for joining the show, Nick. Um, Appreciate it. Yeah, we all we always enjoy your. Uh, your input, but uh, his first, it was kind of a two-parter, two-parter this week. Uh, you did ask one last week. Um, his first question was, um, how com- confident are we in the uh, team compared to last year? Um, so, Alex, why don't you take that one away? I'll put it this way. I was way more confident in the team last year than I was in the team but in the year before that, and they shadow my dreams. And they kicked it to the curb. So I, I I would like to say that I'm more confident in this year's team in the sense that I think they've got um I think they've got a real good checking line and I I I, I think they've got a lot of guys who have potential to step up and do some damage down the stretch, but I am not going to be convinced that these guys are any different than last year's team until we see it in the playoffs. And, you know, I, anytime any, anybody says something like that, you always assume, oh, why are you even getting happy over a regular season win and stuff? It's like, well, obviously I'm still going to enjoy the regular season. I'm still going to enjoy wins. Like, what's the fun in being a hockey fan if you, don't enjoy the, if you don't enjoy the season? But at the same time, I, I, they, they won't be able to redeem themselves in my eyes until they, they do something in the playoffs. So ask me again in June, and I'll tell you how confident I am in this group compared to the year before. Peter, how confident are you in this group? I'm fairly confident. And like Alex said, you know, you, you, you want to see them succeed in the regular season because without the regular season, you can't get to the playoffs. And yes, the main tipping point is 
getting that first playoff win or getting a playoff win for all that, because that's the main important thing right now. But just in terms of overall structure, um, you saw early on some of the why Toronto bowed out to the Montreal Canadiens in the first round. And again, all or nothing showed that like Keith made the comment that in the, like early on in the season, he saw mistakes that'll come back to haunt the team in the end. You can say that this time around, but there's more balance. There's more accountability when things are looking rough, they're able to bounce back and show more of an effort. Um, I mean, we, we didn't say that when it was uh, after the 7-1 loss and the 4-1 loss to the Carolina Hurricanes because at that point, it, it didn't seem like the effort was there. They didn't have that jump. They didn't have that pep in their step. They didn't bounce back as we thought they would. But then something kicked in, and now they went on the stretch. Yeah, they've had some losses, but you know they've had put together a string of really great wins. And now um, – what we're seeing right now, I think this is the collective whole that we wanted to see with this team to be, uh, you know, great at both ends of the ice. And yeah, the goals aren't coming, but at the same time, the defense has improved, the structures has, has improved, and the overall mentality has. So I think that they got that going for them, and that's why I'm thinking I'm more optimistic about this team right now. Okay, so Nick, I'll tell you, going into the season, I had zero confidence. Uh you know, I, I wrote a piece for the Hockey Raiders about how the Leafs weren't going to make the playoffs. So, I mean, that alone goes to show you that uh, I was, you know, zero confidence. Um, I, I'll i be honest with you. Jack Campbell, I was I was worried. Um, the signings, I, I was a little unsure about. Richie, Kosh, I didn't know a whole lot about. Uh, Kampf, I didn't know how he was going to do. Um, we lost guys like Nick Foligno. Um, you know, Big Joe wasn't a huge, huge, uh, you know, stud for the Leafs last season, but he, you know, he's a, he's a dressing room guy. Um, and then obviously Freddie, Freddie had been with us for five years and, and, and was our go-to guy. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't have the, the most confidence surrounding this team, um, that I've had probably in a long time. Uh, that said, I mean, Anytime you've got a lineup the way that we do, um, you know, the expectation is that they're going to get wins. And Jack Campbell's exceeded expectations. He's come in, he's had confidence in himself. He's played well. He's, he's you know, made the big stops when the teams let him down. I mean, he's faced the third most shots in the NHL right now. And he still has the third best save percentage and the third best goals against. And that's including two guys that have played less than five games so far this season. So, what does that go, you know, what does that say for you? Um, but yeah, I mean, at any point, this team can turn it around and, and basically, as Alex said, shit all over our dreams again. But uh, for now, I'd say, you know, you got to put confidence in, in a team that's playing well and they're playing with, with, you know, a, you know, a little bit more hungry than I've seen in recent years. So I would say right now I, I I'm, you know, I'm looking at a team that's going to be top three in the division and, and probably fighting, fighting in that first round again. Um, but uh, to, to jump on your second point, uh, the, the second question is also, why is Nick Ritchie still in the top six? Well, <laughs> I think we already kind of answered that, didn't we? Yeah. yeah, I think we touched on that. So we're not going to get too deep into it, but I think the biggest thing is, I don't know. I, I, I really, I really don't know. 
rewind. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't. He wasn't in the comments. top. He wasn't in the top six in tonight's game. So yeah, it's it's kind of kind of dated. I I mean, I certainly would have been asking that question after last night's game. I was this morning. Why why is he in the top six? Mm-hmm. But Sheldon obviously saw that wasn't working, and he decided to demote them. So or demote him rather. So, um, yeah, I I don't know Nick. I I, I don't know why Nick Ritchie was in the top was in the top six and hopefully he's not in the top six anymore. You know what, Nick? It's because he was taken out of the top six tonight because Sheldon Keefe went on Twitter and saw your question and he believed, (laughs) he truly believed that he should not be in the top six anymore. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, boys, uh, let's jump over to NHL news as we kind of close out this episode. Um, Let's start with a former leaf, Phil Kessel. The Iron Man streak is alive and well. Um, he is sitting third all time on the NHL's Iron Man streak at 918 consecutive games. He's currently 20 games back of Keith Yandel, whose streak is also going at 938. And Doug Jarvis obviously leads the way with 964. Any quick thoughts on Phil Kessel just running the show, his hot dog eating, um, his, uh, his, his, continued success in the with the Arizona Coyotes anything you guys want to add to that have you guys ever seen and this doesn't really have to do with his Iron Man streak but I just like bringing it up every single time I we talk about Phil Kessel because or I talk about Phil Kessel just because it's so funny but have you seen that meme of him holding um it was it was it was when he held he was holding a puck for hitting a certain milestone but um someone photoshopped it out and photoshopped it with a tin of Copenhagen and they put the fucking to the title as uh congratulations to Phil for being named trucker of the month you want a free tin of Copenhagen and half off gas <laughs> <laughs> anytime he comes by our station and it was so funny because he had his he had his like he was right after a game and his shirt was all sweaty and his beard was all all ruffled and all that and it was looking kind of messy and he totally did look like a trucker but God, you, you got to love Phil Kessel. That's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a, an absolute beauty. And I would, I, you know, I'm not holding out hope for this, but I would love to see him return to Toronto at some point throughout his career. Yeah, no, he's, he's definitely a guy that uh, brought a lot of character to the, to the room. I think uh, one of the, one of the videos that I love looking back on is when Ryan Reeves, I think it was Ryan Reeves scared the living shit out of him in the hotel room. <laughs> oh yeah. And he like, he's like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, you're giving me a heart attack. Oh, I just, that one I love gets the, me. I love the interview that he did with Pierre Maguire when Pierre asked him, how's your breath? And he goes, oh, it's not, not good, that good. eh?" eh? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, no, I mean like you're skating. Like how's your, how's your, you're breathing. And he's like, Oh, and then it was, he did one of those laughs where he laughed at first and then he real he really realized like what, like oh. that he messed <laughs> up and he let out an even harder laugh. Yeah. He's yeah. like, uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> one of those yeah. ones. Oh shit! Uh, yeah, gotta love um, Phil, man. Nine hundred and eighteen games of Phil Kessel. I, I I don't think the NHL could ask for anything more. Um, one thousand games. How about that? One thousand yeah. games. I'd love to see it. I would absolutely oh. love to see it. Um, crazy stuff from around the league recently. Uh, Kevin Hayes obviously scored his uh, first goal since returning to the Flyers lineup against the Calgary Flames um, and immediately pointed to this guy, obviously honoring his brother, Jimmy. Um, I, I know I got goosebumps when I saw that moment happen. Um, I don't know about you guys, but it was, it was one of those things that you just, you, you feel for him, you feel for the family and, and uh, it, it was it was a really special moment. He kept the puck. He's going to give it to Jimmy's son. 
just yeah, one of those one of those moments that it kind of hits you in all the feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, any time a player does that, especially if it's like a close family member and anything, um, you go out there and play for them, and th- th- they that's the main important thing. And the fact that he had to do it in his in he scored his first goal, and I believe it was his second game back. And as soon as you point to the sky, you just can't help but feel for him. I mean, it's still traumatic. They're still reeling from it. It's still painful. And in a time of a dark, like you're in a dark time right now, that's just one glimmer of hope. And then one positive thing that you could look forward to and maybe try and reel out of it. And yeah, like you said, Andrew, I was, I got choked up just looking at it. I didn't watch it live because the feed or whatever, but seeing the highlights, you can't help but feel for him. Just a really great moment. Yeah. Alex, uh, jumping over to the Vancouver Canucks, there is mayhem happening in Vancouver right now. The fire bending chants are happening. Um, this team just is, is completely falling apart and, and, um, you know, it's a young squad. It's a team that has a lot of potential, but uh, just not working out on the ice. What are your thoughts on the firing, fire bending chance? Well, I hear a lot of the struggles because one of my best friends is a Canucks fan, so he's he, he's kind of going through it. Um, I think it's just one of those things where the Canucks are in a position where they're not going to do. They're not. Nothing's going to change until somebody gets fired. I, we saw this, that, and you know, not to compare him to the uh, to the Leafs right before they fired Babcock, because I think those are two teams in pretty different positions. But you know, that Leafs team was not going to go anywhere until they fired Babcock. It was just one of those things that had to happen. And at this point, I think it's I, I think it's got to be if you're picking between Jim Benning and Travis Green, I think it's got to be Jim Benning that goes first because he's been here for eight years. And his team hasn't done anything. He's had his moments. He's made some solid trades. He's made some good draft picks. But overall, the team's success hasn't been there. So at, at what point are you going to stop justifying why he's there and just, just pull the plug on him and rec- recognize that it's not working? Uh, having said that, I think at, even if you don't fire Jim Benning right away, you got to fire somebody. And if that has to be Travis Green, then it is what it is. I mean, the Canucks are going nowhere. They don't look like they have an identity right now. And they're just they have not been good lately. So I, I, I think it's going to come down to uh, a member of personnel getting fired. And I think that's really going to um, spark the turnaround for them eventually. And I, whether it's this season or whether it's next season, I think, I think they're going to be at this stage up until um, somebody gets fired because I've seen teams like that before. And sometimes all you need is something like that to shake things up and kind of bust out of a funk. So Yeah. It could kind be a similar situation too to when the Oilers had Shirelli and Tom McClellan as GM and head coach. And we all thought that Peter Shirelli should have been fired, but they ended up firing Tom McClellan, who really technically wasn't the problem. It was the honest product of the moves that Shirelli made with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl still doing their best and no supporting cast. It's different circumstances around because the Canucks don't have two elite superstar players, but they got really great players. So I just had to draw the parallel to that because this is a very similar situation right now. Yeah, I can. I could be completely making this up, but I'm pretty sure you got uh, Roberto Luongo still under contract. Maybe it's time to bring him back and see if you can add a little juice to the, the room. That would, oh, that yeah. would be something, eh? Bobby uh, Lou comes out of retirement to, to go between the pipes, him and Thatcher Demko. You'd have Bobby to take- Lou GM. 
He'd have to take the C though as well because I think uh, I think he had the C when at, at one yeah. point. Yeah. Um, it was, you know what was weird though about that? I you know what? Just like you said, just there Forbes. I might be completely making this up, but I I thought I remembered something where when Bobby Lou was the C was the, when he was the captain in Vancouver, he didn't actually wear the C on his jersey. He had it on his helmet. No, yeah, I think, am I right? Uh, you're hundred percent. You're hundred percent right. What was the helmet. reasoning for that? Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he have the C on his jersey? I don't think they could put it on the goalie's jersey. I think there's like something. Some why though? Unwritten rule. Where... Yeah, it's like oh, an fuck unwritten. On, no, no, no. Fuck unwritten rules. I'm <laughs> no. If well, that's cause... an unwritten rule, that's the stupidest fucking unwritten rule I've ever heard. Maybe that a goalie can't wear a because, C on his jersey because the jersey's going to have marks on the puck if it gets on the C or something like that. <laughs> what that, that doesn't make know. any sense yeah i don't well then what I happens if johnny T i don't, I don't even know if that's shoulder? even true do they have not. to put the c on his helmet they gotta rip it off they gotta rip it off that's that that's gonna go towards the uh head helmet uh sponsorship deals you gotta wear the c on your helmet now um <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> alex you mentioned uh babcock peter i'm gonna throw it to you for this one riley tufty in the Dow because you you guys whoever threw that note in our our little notes here for the episode Babcock. really threw me. me off really threw me <laughs> off i i figured it was you alex <laughs> but i'm thinking like holy shit like when did when did uh, uh mike babcock's son get into the league but i don't even think he has a son i think he's got couple daughters anyway no he's got a son does he have a son okay well yep. he's actually his his son's on the bench with him at the university of saskatchewan right now oh fuck like there you go i don't know much about babcock and his name really is believe it or babcock. not his name is also mike babcock <laughs> It would be it. Yeah, exactly. Like, like if you were if you were to predict what Mike Babcock's son would be, <sighs> would it be anything else but Mike Babcock? Jesus Christ! Did it go with Andrew Junior for uh, Oakley? Not, there, not a chance. There's not a fucking way in in hell that I would never name my kid Andrew. I just like it's just one of those things you don't fucking do it unless you're living in a trailer park. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Riley uh, Tufty bought tickets for his family. Got uh, got his friends and family out to the out to the game just to be benched by Rick Bonus, um, or not benched. I shouldn't say benched. Scratched. Scratched. He's a black yeah. ace um, by by Rick Bonus. Uh, you know your thoughts on this, Peter? Come on, really? Like, and uh, like Alex wrote, it was, this is like a Mag- Mike Babcock situation 2.0. You know, this is a kid that's been drafted in your system, um, works hard to get to his point, put in the effort, and just when he's about to play his first home game, you scratch him. Give me a break. Come on. Like, that, that, that's just the lowest of lows of a move that you can make right now. I mean, that, that, that's all I got as simple as that. Like, what, what else can you say? It's a joke. It's a really, it's a really crappy move. Kind of like when Babcock was going to bench Chilios in the outdoor game in Chicago. Like, <laughs> complete fucking joke. Um, but, yeah, just just a, a – it was just a pain in the ass move. You know, like yeah. a guy like that, you got a kid that's coming up, gets his family out. You know he's got his family at the game, and you, and you, and you sit him for the game. Jersey's um, made, everything. Yeah, just shitty. Just shitty move by bonus and – Hopefully, hopefully, you know, it's a learning experience for him as a coach. Um, hopefully, Tufty gave him the old, uh, you know, the old fuck you when he came back in. And, and uh, you know, maybe maybe he doesn't play a game for the organization. Maybe they maybe he moves on from the organization. Who knows? Trade me. Trade me. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I that's a that's a kind of a like Mitch Marner, Mike Babcock kind of interaction there. But 
I will um, say it was good karma that that the stars got absolutely shit kicked that night. <laughs> yeah, by the way, oh yeah. yeah, like yeah. if you don't believe in karma, oh, case in point, yeah. exhibit A. Hockey mm-hmm. gods, the hockey gods, they have a way of working. Yeah, um, present themselves every now and then. Yeah, they do. Um, guys, the the hockey hall of fame, they kind of did this thing where they pushed them pushed the uh, inductions last season, obviously with COVID happening. Doug Wilson, Kim St. Pierre, which I believe is the first the first female goaltender to to crack the uh, the Hall of Fame. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Kevin Lowe, Jerome McGinley, Marion Hosa, and Ken Holland all inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, guys, I, I'll throw this to Alex because uh, here's the thing: I, I, you guys know me. I, the Hall of Fame. I, I truly believe that hockey is one of the more saturated Hall of Fames. That's not saying that some of these guys don't belong in it. Um, but you know, for me, a guy like Kevin Lowe, I think he lived off of uh, off of some success that was happening in in Edmonton at the time, um, and uh, I think there could have been some other players that were were inducted instead. But Alex, what are your thoughts on the Hall of the class of twenty twenty one, and uh, you know, you know the Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremony? Um. So I'm actually I'm gonna take a slightly different angle on this one. I was actually at the game against Calgary when they uh, when they did this induction ceremony, and I, I don't I didn't mention that last week for whatever reason, probably because I was too pissed off about the fucking hockey cards I was pulling and and uh, my too heated about my ball hockey experiences and everything. But yeah, I was at that game against Calgary in the in the Ford fan deck, and I will say it was so cool seeing the ovation that Jerome McGinley got when when because they announced him last, if I recall correctly. And obviously it was during the game when the Leafs were playing the Flames. So there were some Flames fans in the building and everybody got up and cheered for Johnny, uh, for uh, Johnny, Jesus, for Jerome McGinley. And uh, it was it, it was really cool to witness something like that. And like you said, the these guys missed out on their opportunity last year, guys and girls missed out on their opportunity last year. And um, now we're seeing it. Uh, we're, we're seeing their opportunity now and it's um, uh, it, it's a, it's a big thing for them to get into the hall of fame. And I, I, I think it was really cool to, uh, to witness that live. So that's, that, that's all I really have to say on the topic. Peter, what are your thoughts on Jerome McGinley's full name? <laughs> oh, I love uh, his full name. <laughs> I, okay. I'll, I'm going to have to search up his full name. I, I will, I will read can, it to you I right can now. say it. Okay. okay go I, for yeah. it. You got oh, it. Wait, wait, oh, wait, no, you, no, 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 you, you can go for it. Jerome I, I don't Arthur. know if I, I don't know if I can pronounce the one part. Jerome so Arthur Lee Adekunle take Jr. Elvis again. <laughs> that man, that was, that was spot fucking on right there. Jesus. <laughs> that is an awesome Can you tell how many times name. I've read that name out to my friends? Oh my Jerome God. Arthur. It's like my party trick. I don't have, I don't have any cool, unique skills, but I can read out Jerome again's full name. <laughs> Jerome Arthur Lee, Lee Edekun Lee Tig Jr. Elvis Aginla. Man, that's that his best name in history. That is awesome. That just beats out William Nylander's full name. I'm sorry. I, I hope like I hope Jerome Aginla's plaque in the Hall of Fame is like this big <laughs> and like this long just to fit his name on. The like name. that's oh man. Honest to God, like if, if or just if, have the Sidney Crosby quote Iggy. Yeah, just yeah. on the plaque. Growing up, like Jerome McGinley was one of my favorite players. Not like that wasn't a Leaf. So seeing yeah. him when he fought Le Cavalier in the in the the Cup final um, that that year was just incredible. Like he was just that all around guy. He 
I, I don't know. I for for him to get in, I was I was I was so happy for him. I think that you know he he again we still talk about race in, in, in sports and he, he kind of exceeded expectations on terms of, in terms of what he was able to do over his career. And he was, he was a stand-up guy while he did it. And that's, that's what I love about Jerome McGinley was that he was pure class, pure class. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's one of the more deserving guys. I guess when I say saturated in terms of the hall of fame, I think of guys like Alex McGillney that should be in over a guy like Kevin Lowe. And I think about, you know, a guy like, and, you know, I'll get crucified for this by some, but Theo Fleury deserves to be in the Hall of Fame uh, for what he did during his playing days. Forget what he does now. Forget mm-hmm. what he did outside of the game, but what he did on the ice, dealing with what he did. I mean, he's a guy that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and, and he's not. And I think about the Hall of Fame as a gentleman's club, and that's why you see a guy like Kevin Lowe get in, and you don't see a guy like Alex McGillney get in. And Alex mm-hmm. McGinley changed the game for Russians um, yeah. in, in defecting the way that he did. So um, that's my only complaint about the Hall of Fame. That said, this class is great. Like I said, Kim St. Pierre, I believe she's the first uh, female goaltender to, to crack the Hall of Fame. Um, Jerome McGinley, absolute class act. Just imagine what, like speaking of St. Pierre specifically, imagine what that's going to do for her. Uh, for sorry, not for her, but for all the little girls who go to the Hall of Fame yeah. mm-hmm. to see to see Kim St. Pierre up there, especially the ones that play goalie. Yeah. You know, that was never you know, if you, you walk into the hockey hall of fame, uh, and picture if you're if you're a little girl and you play goalie, you go into the hockey hall of fame and there is not a single mm-hmm. female goalie in there, now there is. And I, I, I think at the very least that will establish a, gl- a what should be more than a glimmer. It'll establish a beacon of hope for them that they can uh, that they can make waves someday. So that's, uh, I, I think it was great to see her get inducted and she, well, she deserved it very much. Yeah. One guy we also didn't mention Marion Hosa over 1300 games uh, during the regular season in his NHL career, over 500 goals, 1100, over 1100 points. Um, you know, just did it so quietly uh, played for some, some incredible teams in, in Chicago and, and had a chance at a, at a cup in Detroit, um, played in Pittsburgh. Um, we all remember the, the incident in, in Ottawa, uh, but he, he started his career in Ottawa. Um, you know, just another guy who, who went about his business quietly and, and played a, a, an incredible, an incredible career in the, at the NHL level. So another guy that, uh, definitely deserved the call. Um, one, one bad takeaway, I guess, from, from the whole hall of fame uh, ceremony and Peter will throw it to you first, the Batman speech and, and the Batman talking about the Kyle beach uh, situation and, and what's going on with the Blackhawks. Um, your thoughts, I guess, on, on, on Gary Batman's uh, backpedaling. I mentioned this as soon as I saw the quote or the video online. I think this is just a weak attempt to try and save his job. Um, how can you say what you said about your comments about out of accountability, respect, and showing support when you yourself and the whole organization of the Chicago Blackhawks and everyone else involved didn't show any ounce of respect or support for Kyle Beach? That to me is a joke and I'm surprised that he said anything at all because it for him to come out and say something like that again it's just a last-ditch effort to try and make himself like oh he's coming out on top and 
trying to do the right thing, even though the right thing wasn't done at all. And it's still very disappointing that he was able to say that. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of people really didn't thought that that speech or that comment was just really, you know, not worth the time because none of that happened. None of what he said happened. And yeah, obviously we should try to be respectful. We should try to give out the support and everything like that. But when you're contradicting everything that you said in your speech and you didn't do that, why are you saying it then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Alex, anything you want to add to that? Not really, honestly. I think Peter hit every nail on the head. Just, you know, you can't, you can't push this case under the rug for 11 years and then say you can't commit to the idea of giving John Doe to therapy um, oh to God. make up yeah. for all the years of suffering and then go on and, and try to make a statement at the Hockey Hall of Fame induction and say with a straight face, we uh, all this shit about accountability and changing the culture and shit, like just get fucked Gary. Like, I'm sorry. Like I like, no, I'm not sorry. Actually. Like you can't, you can't go out there and say something like that when you don't walk the walk, you know, if you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk and he's not doing that. So um, like, I agree with you, Peter. I think it was a very weak attempt to save face and to kind of put his name in the spotlight in a positive way. And uh, I, I don't know who the hell is going to look at that speech and think, Oh, Gary Bedman must've really changed his ways because he obviously no. hasn't. Um, so yeah, uh, nothing, nothing else for me here. In my, in my line of work, we always talk about knowing your audience and knowing your time and place. And, and for me, I think it was just not only were you trying to backpedal, but it was the wrong time in the wrong place. Um, you're, you're in a situation where you're trying to honor and celebrate the game's best. And you decide to make it a, a, um, you know, a PR move on your, on your behalf to try and say like, save face with, with the NHL owners and, and the sponsors uh, of the league and, and all that BS. Like, I just think, you know, that to me just showed what kind of level of classlessness that he has. Um, you know, you're taking away from a moment that's supposed to celebrate the game and, and trying to earn the respect of, of your colleagues by basically sh- you know, you shit all over the, the, the presser that you gave earlier, earlier in the week or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much there, how much more there is to say about this because it's just, it's, it's an ongoing issue. Um, You know, the, the Blackhawks continue to prove how, how ridiculous they are as an organization, not, not settling with Kyle beach after everything that uh, came out. And, uh, you know, John Doe, too, is, is still dealing with the um, everything that's, you know, came from, from his experiences with, uh, with Aldrich as well. And, and I just think there's so much, so much more wrapped up into this. And, and you know, if, if you follow, if you follow uh, those covering the story, um, you know, they've, uh, they've, they've been hearing more and more stories of, of abuse in hockey uh, from all, all levels. And it's just, it, it's disappointing. It's disappointing. And, and the guy who's supposed to be your leader at this point is still not being your leader, not supporting the fact that this, this shit is going on and, and trying still actively trying at the hockey hall of fame to brush it under the rug. That, that to me, I think is the, is the craziest part about all of this, but 
I, you know, I'm sorry to, to end on kind of a sad or disappointing note uh, here in episode 62, but uh, Alex, anything you wanted to close, close out with before we uh, shut this one down? Nothing. I'm actually, I, I have nothing to say. So, <laughs> Peter, what do you got going on uh, until we get together next week? Uh, look out for something on Matthew Nyes. And it's nice. Suppose not I- nice. Nice. Very nice. All right, boys. Uh, My life. As, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as you can tell, we record very, very early in the morning. But uh, no, no. Uh, I, I, as always, guys, uh, we we did hit three thousand downloads all time yes. uh, this week, which was a big, big moment for us. Every thousand counts. Um, you know, we we love the support. We love the uh, the interaction that we have with some of our our listeners. Now it's. Uh, we're really starting to build a following. Um, but yeah, uh, episode 62 in the books. Uh, you can f- head over to Twitter, follow Peter on Twitter at P Barrichini. You can follow Alex at a Hobson media, or you can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes. Uh, you can follow the podcast at sticks in the six pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D big shout out to Ryan Zeus Fleming for our intro. Uh, love that. Love that intro. Yes. Uh, you can head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast to download rate review, subscribe to our podcast and hear Ryan Fleming's voice. Um, or you can check us out on YouTube for a lot more content. You can see these pretty mugs when you look at our videos as well. So until next time, boys, Uh, here's to another week of Leaf Hockey.